Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Now we've started a new year. It's not the first. Last Sunday was the first of the year, but sort of feels like the first Sunday of the year since our family got back. So first of the year stuff, first of the year stuff, we usually, what do we do first of the year? We usually make resolutions. Anybody make resolutions for this year? No, 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 no resolutions. We got a resolution back there. To get healthy quickly. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, what happens is we make them the first week of the year, and then by this time, we've already broken them, so they don't really matter anyway, right? Yeah. Last year, I made a resolution, and actually did it, where I was reading authors who were a little bit more diverse than, uh, than uh, my experience, because I had a bookshelf full of people who looked and sounded like me and were similar to me, and so that was my goal last year. This year, my resolution is to re- read Dead Theologians. The, the dead theologians, all of their works, going back to like the, the first, second century on, for all those men and women who have come and gone and passed for us and leaving us great nuggets of wisdom. So that's, that's my resolution. So if you have any favorite dead theologians in their works, please send them my way because I'm going to be putting together my book list for this year. So anyway, here we are again. Welcome. Uh, it's been a couple weeks, so we're excited to be back. What, what do we got? We got a couple, we got something come up here. Oh. For those who are members, those who are members, and if you're not members but you're interested, our annual members meeting, um, looking possibly to do it on February 5th. It's non-football Sunday, so <laughs> fit it in, fit it in there. It's right, it's it's right in between, right in between, right, right in between. And you'll notice, so this is a tentative date holder for the members meeting, February 5th. You'll notice at the time we're looking to do it at 5 p.m. It's on a Sunday, 5 p.m. We're looking to have a fellowship dinner as members, enjoy a meal together, come together, do, uh, do members' business. And if you're not a member, please, if you'd like to be involved in the church, let us know for membership. We can get you an application for that. Or you just want to come and see what we do as members, you can do that as well. But we'll have our annual members meeting, and we want to try something a little different this year where we meet, we have a meal, and we just fellowship together on a Sunday evening. So that's the, the placeholder for the date. We'll be sending out more information as that comes, comes closer. So there we go for that. Um, let's talk about tithes and offerings. We're starting a brand new year, right? As a church, we're looking to have, uh, to experience God's blessings again this year. And you guys have been so great in your giving over the past few years. It's, it's very encouraging. But as I was thinking about our offerings, I wanted to just kind of read this little devotional thought as we think about our tithes and offerings moving into this next year. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of the host. If, try me if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. In this passage, the Lord presents us with a challenge. He says to bring the tithes to his house and present them before him. And then uh, what follows is a challenge. Try me now in this, he says. Try me now in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. God is asking us to have faith in his word, faith in him. He says, try me and see what I can do with your gifts. 
It's God's desire to not only bless us, but to bless us past the point of having enough room to receive it. And how do we receive and access this blessing? It's by faith, our faith in Jesus Christ, by believing that He can and that He will, that He will continue to sustain us and move us forward, be having faith that He will do what His Word has says, and we have to choose to just believe and take Him up on His challenges. So, remember, as we go into this new year, uh, we can continue to give towards the ministry that God is doing here at FBC. And we've got the box in the back. You can put your tithes and offerings in the box in the back during the service or after the service. And you can also go online to our website or the app and uh, do our tithes and offerings there. But as we start this new year, I thought it's appropriate for us to actually think about what God says about His blessings and our response to them. And so I have a, a confession that we'll put up on the screen that we can read together as a body. A confession about faith about what the Lord will do for us. So let's read this together, if you will. Father, today I bring my tithe and my gift into your storehouse. I believe in your word where it says that you will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I stand on it, I have faith in it, and I act on my faith today. What we want to do in this next year is to lean into God's faithfulness and His blessings and recognize them and be ready to receive them as He will bring them into our presence and as He brings them into our midst. So let's focus this year on His great blessings towards us. And we're going to talk about one of those blessings, which is our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the gift that He has provided for us. Lord Jesus, we come to You today, again, recognizing that You are our Lord and our Savior, you are the one who sustains us. You are the one who lifts us up. You are the one who provides for all of our needs. You ask us to be faithful, to follow your word, to follow your instructions, and then to walk in our deeds in faith. So, Lord Jesus, we come asking for you to pour out your blessings upon us. We thank you for the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. It should be the catalyst that, that helps us to move, move forward and trust in you. We come in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I have, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today, and if you have the Bibles in front of you, of course, or your phones or your tablets, however you read the Word of the Lord, um, I have some secret information that there are some security forces possibly watching us today. So Thad from his Lackland base, I'm going to wave to Thad, is watching us today. I'll say to those men and women at Lackland and security forces, fly, fight, and win, airmen. That is your job. That's what they're focused on. So we're glad to have them. And uh, Thad's able to watch us today. He's doing great. He asked us about our trip. A couple of people have asked us about our trip. Thad's doing pretty well. Um, he's moved on to his tech school. He graduated basic training. You may have heard of this little hiccup that we had about not getting onto a flight, but then having to get into our car and drive 30 hours to get down to him. That was quite the adventure, but we made it there safe and sound. And all of us made it on the trip. We didn't kill anybody or throw anybody out of the vehicle, uh, which is great, always a, always a win. That trip and that experience for us was, was a blessing. It was wonderful. But, you know, waking up from the hotel in Boston, because we had to leave Christmas Eve to get to the hotel in Boston to sleep for about three hours so that then we could take a shuttle to the airport, and so we had parked our car at the hotel and whatnot and left it there for the week, 
got to the airport, stood in line for about an hour and a half before the ticket counter opens, and we knew we had gotten a text that there was a problem with one of our flights. Not the first flight, we could get on that one, the second flight, uh, getting us on, I won't name the, the airlines, um, uh, but they've lost thousands and thousands and millions of baggage uh, over this last couple weeks. Uh, so we're standing there waiting an hour and a half, okay, let's see what's going to happen here, and he's standing at the ticket aisle, ticket, ticket counter, excuse me, with the lady, the really sweet young gal who was there having to solve everybody's problems in the world, um, and telling us and looking through her screen there's absolutely no way that six people can rearrange these flights on Christmas Day to get to where you want to go. There, we couldn't go to Dallas. We couldn't fly to Houston. We couldn't fly to... Tulsa was close. I mean, we would, have, we would have gone from anywhere, you know, hit us in like New Mexico, Arizona, whatever, you know. We would have gone anywhere to then rent a car. And so we're standing at this counter and some fear kind of goes over it. I, it was Sarah, myself, Gwen, we, we, the rest of them were taking seats in the back so that we weren't all crowding the counter. The three of us are standing there talking with this, this girl trying to solve these problems, and, and she's, there, there's no way, there's no way. And we're like, what do, we, what do people do in this situation? Well, they usually cancel their flight and go home. And I'm like, That's, that, 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 that doesn't compute. And there's fear and doubt that were like just coming across our faces and we're looking at one another and there's some tears being shed that we are over 2,000 miles away from our destination at this very important date. There was no way in the world we were missing this graduation of our son from basic training. And so we canceled the tickets and prayed, Lord, give us a refund, <laughs> you know, all, the, all that stuff all that stuff, and we decided, well, we have to jump in the car and go. And for that first day as we're traveling on Christmas Day, driving in the car, you'd be amazing, amazed at how many travel stations are actually open on Christmas. That, that was a blessing. I was worried we were going to get out of the city of Boston, you know, like on a half a tank of gas and like run out somewhere because nothing's open. But God, God blessed us and took care of us in that, and so we were able to spend Christmas Day with all those wonderful people who were working the counters and the travel stations, and they were having a glorious day as we were. But that first day, as we're driving, we're just in shock. I mean, we were, we were literally, literally in shock for hours. What in the world's going on? What are we doing? What, we, we should be on a plane going here and here and then arriving here at this certain time, and now we're in the car driving for 30 hours, you not know, you know, okay, and it's like, well, did we get our car serviced recently? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's literally 3 o'clock in the morning, and we're having those, the, uh, we didn't have time to check. Uh, I think we got an oil change recently. Um, and, and 130 miles out from San Antonio, the next day, our check engine light comes on with the admissions indicator. I'm like, I'm not a car guy. My wife's not a car gal. And the check engine light comes on, and you know, we're freaking out over this thing, and I'm texting people, and it's like, no, that just means that you're spewing out more toxins than your car wants to, and you'll be fine. So we're like, okay, good, good. We're just, we're driving, and we're killing the environment, but we're fine. We're getting to our destination. <laughs> but literally, shock, there's a little bit of fear, doubt, all those things running through our minds, and, and uh, as we got into it, we, we continued to see the blessings of the Lord as He delivered us down to San Antonio with great weather. I mean, it was 70 degrees, guys, you know, is <laughs> beautiful. We're all like 
at the end, really, do we have to, <laughs> not only do we have to go back, but we have to drive 30 hours back on the trip as well. I want to I talk, there's a group in the passage that we're, we're looking at in Luke, uh, Luke 12, uh, who, who is probably experiencing some fear and maybe even some doubts. Jesus is talking to his disciples. It, we, we looked last year, as we were looking at Luke, we finished up last year before Advent, um, this, this encounter, this amazing encounter that Jesus is having with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And man, they are coming at him. This is the point where they are starting to come at him. Now, can you imagine being a disciple of Jesus and, and hearing the rumblings, hearing the rumblings that the people love Jesus, but the leaders, the really important people in the community, they don't like him so much. And they're questioning him, they're accusing him, they're, they're condemning him. And here you are as a disciple following this man. Okay, and so they start to probably hear rumblings about, well, they actually want to get rid of Jesus. Well, what does that mean for us? And Jesus has to sit them down and, and talk to them a little bit about fear. So they had probably heard accusations. Uh, recently in, in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus is healing a man. Uh, Matthew and Mark also talk about this incident. Uh, Jesus is healing a man, and the, the, the Pharisees tell Jesus that you are working from the power of the devil. Here's Jesus doing some wonderful miracles, healing people, bringing life to people, and they accuse him of, of working through the power of the devil. They're, they're denying the clear work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. We, we, I'm, I'm going to emphasize this a, f- a few times today. The Pharisees are seeing clear evidence of who Jesus is, right in front of them. They're they they are seeing undeniable evidence about who Jesus is as the Messiah. They're witnessing it with their own eyes, and they are hardening their hearts to who Jesus is. They're hardening their hearts, and we see this coming to a head here. They're hardening their, hardening their hearts in order, in order to deny who Jesus is as the Messiah. And the disciples are wrapped up in this as well because they're following Jesus and they're taking part. They're doing things too. Jesus had sent them out. They're doing miracles. They're feeding people. They're, they're all a part of this. And imagine that the disciples are, oh, God, oh golly, you know, what, what, do we, what do we do? How do we handle this? What do we watch out for? There may have been a little fear creeping in. But those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ have nothing to fear. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 4, if you're following along, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Those who are in Christ, Jesus says, those who are in me, those who follow me, have nothing to fear. The idea of fear, there, there, you know, there's a couple different ways to look at fear. There's the fear of being terrified, terrified what's going to happen of the unknown. Something unexpected comes into your life. You don't know. You've never experienced it. Um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we went to Six Flags in San Antonio, and my, my fear of roller coasters popped back up. I've mentioned that before. My fear of heights popped up. They took me on those giant swings that go, you know, like 200 feet in the air, and you're strapped in. And 
I, the it's amazing how small those chains are that hold those, <laughs> those seats. I made a comment, and Sarah laughed at me. And, and so I'm sitting there holding her hand, and we're swinging around 200 feet up in the air. Anyway, fear, terrified, terrified of something that you don't like or an unknown experience. Unknown experience. And those who don't know Christ may fall into this category because we don't know there's no expectation of what will happen later on. It's unknown. There's also the kind of fear of being in awe of something greater than us. And this is the kind of fear that we have of the Lord. It's not, a, it's not a lie down and tremble as believers in Jesus. It's not a lie down and tremble, crumple on the floor kind of fear because God is our loving Father. But it's a, it's a fear of, of an awe because of who God is and because of who we are, but it's an, an awe of something greater, something greater than, than we, than we are. Jesus says, fear, I'll show you the one who you should fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. I'll just say that when we fear the wrong thing, it can have disastrous consequences. We can, we can fear the Lord, again, being in awe of the Lord, follow the Lord because we're in awe of Him, or we can follow something else. Jesus uses the word for hell here in this verse, uh, fear Him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. The word hell here is Gehenna. This is actually a place outside of Jerusalem. All right, um, I'm not sure what it would look like now, but back in the day, in the first century, this was a place, Gehenna was a place right outside the city of Jerusalem, right outside the walls of Jerusalem. This is where they would throw their trash, basically. Anything that was unclean, they would throw it into Gehenna. And in Gehenna, in this place, in this place, there were, there were burning fires that would go all the time because they're burning the refuse, they're burning the, the unclean things that are thrown into this place. This is a place where like the dogs would go to, to pick at bones and pick at, at the trash of Gehenna. And Jesus says, Jesus is probably pointing to this place to them and says, hey, if you're the one who could send you to a place like Gehenna, and we translate the word hell here, but he's describing a physical place, a place of fire, consuming fire. In the Old Testament, this was a place where pagan kings and the kings that didn't follow God, that kings that strayed away from God, they would actually commit child sacrifices in this place, where they would, they would sacrifice children to Molech or Baal in this place. And it, because it had that, that background, it became an, a, an unclean place right outside the city gates right outside of Jerusalem, and this is where then they would throw the things that were unclean, the trash and the rubbish, into this place of Gehenna, and they would burn, it would burn, it would burn, because they wanted to get rid of, right? It was like the big town dump, but for them, for the nation of Israel, it meant more than just taking it to the transfer station to get rid of it. It's like, this is unclean. This is unclean. And Jesus says, ah, you don't know what the unclean experience, those who don't follow me are going to experience. It's going to be like the flames of Gehenna. Jesus says that being separated from God because of our sin will feel and will be like the pits of Gehenna. 
But if we are in Christ, then nothing on this earth can affect our eternal promises that, that are found in Jesus Christ. When we are in Christ, we have a new experience. We have a new life, a life that doesn't lead towards a trash pit, a life that leads actually to eternal life. And we may not have the best of time here on earth, right? This is not one of those messages like, hey, just follow Jesus and everything's going to be great and fancy. Man, we were praying for this trip for weeks and God still sent us in a car instead of an airplane. All right, we had, we had, we had the trip mapped out and planned. We, we missed days at our destination because of the delay, all right? But God was still in this experience. And Jesus says, look for those God experiences. As you are a follower of me, God will keep you keep you safe and secure. It says in Hebrews 13, be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said this, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Again, disciples are hearing rumblings. The Pharisees are out to get Jesus. They're, they're, they're okay. They're, they're really ramping up their campaign against Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. What does this mean for us? Are they going to come get us as well? What can man do to me? The, the church would say later on in the book of Hebrews, what can man do to me? If we're, Jesus is basically saying, hey, if you're part of this world and you're hanging on to this world, the future is not going to look too bright and rosy. If you're a part of Christ and Christ's kingdom moving towards moving towards what Christ has, you are secure. You are secure. And he's challenging his believers. He's, he's comparing the disciples and, and their faith and what they're doing with the beliefs of the Pharisees and their unbelief. And, and Jesus always has an encouraging word for those who follow him. He says in Luke 12, verse 6, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It says those things that we just disregard, the birds in the air and we see them and they come and go and we don't take notice of them, the things that we discard in our life and just get rid of and it seems so temporary to us, God sees all that. He's in control of that. He's watching over all that. How much more then as image bearers of God? How much more special, precious are we in God's sight because of who we are and what we are as his creation? So therefore, don't be afraid. You're, you're worth more than all the stuff that we just toss away, than all the stuff we toss away. And again, he's comparing where the disciples are and he's, he's basically saying, disciples, stay on track, stay on track, keep going, keep going, follow me, follow me. You're going to see where this ends. You're going to see the outcome of this thing. You're going to be blessed. God's going to do some amazing things through you. You're going to witness some amazing things. He's comparing what the disciples are doing to what the Pharisees are doing as they've hardened their hearts towards God. We, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 1. And this is, this is amazing to me. 
This is amazing to me. He says, meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands, thousands came together. So thousands of people are coming to Jesus. Thousands of people came together. So they were trampling one another. There's a mob coming together to see Jesus. And he began to see, say to his disciples first, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And we covered that a couple weeks ago. But look at this. You, you imagine this picture, the crowds and crowds and crowds coming to Jesus. This is what the Pharisees wanted for themselves, right? They, they, there's, there's power in their popularity. This is what they were seeking out. And here's Jesus. He's, he's, he's getting the crowds to come to him, and they're starting to lose things. They're starting to lose their grip on what's going on in their community. People are starting to see the hypocrisy that's happening in their midst. And when we start to lose something, poof, we can start to get ourselves in trouble. So we see there where Luke is pointing out con- the contrast of the crowds following, the G- following Jesus versus the crowds that the Pharisees were wanting to follow them so that they would continue to get the recognition that they thought they deserved. And what's interesting about Jesus versus the Pharisees, the Pharisees are always sort of pointing, look here, look here, look here. Where, what is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, what does he do? He says, look to the Father, look to the Father. I do the will of the Father. The Father's the one who sent me. I and the Father am one. Uh, Look to the Holy Spirit to come. I'm working through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is always spreading it around, right? The Pharisees are always pointing it back at them. Jesus is freely giving away. Pharisees are, are always holding on tight. Imagine a, a Pharisee's church back in the day versus the church that Jesus was trying to create or he was starting to create. Imagine a Pharisee's church. The Pharisee's church, we built on shame of how you didn't come this week. I didn't see you in the pews this week. What's wrong? What's wrong? You got to make it up for us. You got to make it up for us. You know what? I heard that you went on, went to a movie. Uh, You know that in this group, we don't go to movies, right? I heard, I heard that young man that you went on a date with somebody. You didn't get our permission about it. You didn't get our permission. I've actually, I've actually heard of organizations that have told young men and women, you can't go on a date without getting permission from the church leaders. That's the kind of church that the Pharisees were wanting to run. They're wanting a church for themselves. And for their little community where Jesus is saying, man, guys, 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 this blessing extends beyond this, beyond this. They wanted a place where salvation was dependent upon their approval. What's interesting about Jesus in chapter 12, verse 8, Jesus directs the news of our salvation beyond himself, beyond himself. He speaks a good word about you and I when we come into the family. It says this, and I say to you, in verse 8, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Do you imagine this? Jesus up there in, in heaven, and, and, 
and we go out, and, and Sarah goes out, and hey, Sarah's talking to her neighbors, and hey, have you, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about what Jesus has done? And then Jesus is like, ah, angels, have you seen Sarah? Have you seen Sarah? Have you seen what Sarah's doing, how she's spreading the word Nancy? Nancy went out there to, to the store, and, and Nancy's out there. Hey, have you heard about Jesus, my Lord and Savior, and Jesus in heaven? Angels, angels, do you see my, my, my sister Nancy? And you see what she's doing down there, spreading the good news, and Carrie's out there spreading it. Do you see what Carrie's doing? And, and, and Jesus is, is spreading that to the angels. He's not just keeping it to himself and checking, okay, you know, check, it's like Santa up there, you know, did, did you check off, did you do all this stuff right, and give us a tally at the end of the year. He's, Jesus says that, hey, when you acknowledge me, I'm up there in the throne room of God, acknowledging you and spreading this news to the angels, because they need to hear about this. They need to hear about the wonders of my creation and experience that. And anyone who does not acknowledge me will be denied that, will be denied that. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Let's sit here for a little bit. Let's sit here. What is this? Sometimes we're, we call this the unforgivable sin passage. Ever heard that? The unforgivable, unforgivable sin? What, what is the unforgivable sin? And we, sometimes we wonder, and sometimes we get ourselves into a little tizzy. Am I doing it? <laughs> right? Am I, am, I, am I doing this? Am I, am I doing the thing that can't be forgiven? Jesus says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. In verse 10, what Jesus said, this is an amazing statement. Jesus is actually saying, you can say a lot of things against me. You can, you can speak against me. That can still be forgiven. You start speaking against the Holy Spirit, ah, that's the path. That's going to take you in the wrong direction. This is an amazing statement. Jesus, Jesus could have stood there and said, anybody, whoever says anything negative against me, you're out. Do you not know who I am? Do you not know I am the king? Do you not know I am the Messiah? Do you not know I am the Lord who came down here? I left my throne. I was born as a little baby in a stable right? In the place where I, I sat and I laid down for the first days of my life, in the place where the donkeys eat and drink their food, all right? I'm done being humble. I grew up. I'm walking. I'm, I'm doing miracles. I'm all that kind of stuff. You say something against me, you're out. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, again, Jesus widens the, the circle. A curse against our Lord and Savior can actually be Forgive me, ever, ever said anything, you know, about Jesus, you know, a lack of faith or doubt? And then you realize, and Jesus says, well, that can be forgiven. You can still come to me. You can still, even if you've said a word against me, I, I'm still going to wrap my arms around you. Th- this, is, this is a word for the, the Pharisees. Pharisees, man, they were cursing him up and down. And Jesus would say to them, hey, guys, guys. I'm still here for you. I'm still here for you. Curse against the Lord and Savior, that can be forgiven. Say something about, about me, about, about Jesus, that can be forgiven. Have you ever doubted God in a time of need? You doubted God, and then you think, oh my gosh, what did I do? That can be forgiven. Have you ever 
hated a brother or sister in your heart, which Jesus ties into murder, right? If we ever hated a brother or sister in our heart, it's forgivable. Have you ever done something? We, we, and we see that. We see that with Moses, David, Paul, Paul, the great persecutor. Talk about hating and murdering brothers and sisters. And Jesus said, you can be forgiven. Have you ever sinned against your husband or your wife or someone you're dating or, or someone that you're, you're interested in or a family member? We see David. We see the women accused of adultery. We see the woman at the well. And what does Jesus do? you can still be forgiven. Have you ever denied Jesus under a great pressure? Didn't want to speak his name because you were afraid of the consequences. Peter did that three times. And Jesus says, that can be forgiven. Jesus is is there with his arms wide open. And we don't have to Fear, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What in the world is he talking about? Again, Jesus himself was filled by the Holy Spirit. He was working through the power of the Holy Spirit. He humbled himself, came, grew as a man, worked through the power of the Holy Spirit, doing God the Father's will, through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how he was working. And again, we saw that the Pharisees were attributing the works of God to the works of the devil. The works that Jesus was doing for his father, their father God, they were saying these come straight from the devil. Speaking against the Holy Spirit, as we're talking about this, speaking against the Holy Spirit isn't just a mere slip of the tongue right? It's not just a, oh, a mistaken word, all right? Speaking against the Holy Spirit, and we see this with the Pharisees, and this is what he's doing. He's contrasting the faith of his disciples and the faith of his followers with those, with the, the, the actions and the heart condition of the Pharisees. Speaking against the Holy Spirit is a persistent rebellion against the inescapable truth that has been revealed to us. A callous heart towards God. And again, we spent the last chapter in Luke, chapter 11 last year, looking at the Pharisees and what they were denying. The healing, the feeding of of thousands of people, the miracles. It's like the the heart, if we go back to the Old Testament, it's like the, the heart that we see in Pharaoh against God. Think about that. Remember, if you're familiar with that, where where God's going to lead his people out of Egypt, Pharaoh, what does it say about Pharaoh? He had a hard heart. He hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's actually two different words used for this idea of, of hardening the heart. When it comes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself hardening his heart, it it's basically means that it's unchanging. It's not easy to penetrate. It's, it's just set. It's set. When, when that's Pharaoh hardening his heart, right? he's, he's kind of closing, he's, he's kind of creating a stony heart that can't be chipped away. When it says God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it says that God was actually just allowing Pharaoh to move in the direction that he was moving. He, it was like he was giving Pharaoh, one commentator said, it was like he was, God was, when he's hardening his heart, he's like giving courage to Pharaoh to continue moving in the direction that he had already chosen. 
So it wasn't God saying, oh, you know what? Your heart is too soft. I need to work through you, so I'm going to make it this rock. No, he says, Pharaoh, I know you have a hard heart. I know what your desire. I know what your plans are. I'm going to help you by giving you the courage to continue down the path that you want to go down. And you imagine, you imagine what it means to the Pharisees to have Jesus comparing their hearts to that of Pharaoh. Who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was their enemy. Pharaoh was the one that their God had conquered and had brought out and they had been created as a nation. And now Jesus is basically saying, your hearts are just like Pharaoh's. You've hardened them and God is going to allow you to move in the direction that you want to move. Jesus says, I've shown you the evidence I've done the miracles. All those things that you were expecting the Messiah to do, it's all right in front of you. You are choosing to harden your heart. This, this would that'd be scandalous. This is why the Pharisees want to kill him. You know, he's, 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 he's comparing them to the, their enemies, the people that they thought, oh man, these are, these are the pagan folks. These are the guys outside of God's plan, outside of God's purposes. You know, God always comes in, destroys them. The Pharisees, the Pharisees were the experts in the law, and they missed the whole point of the law, which was leading to the Messiah in this blessing that was going to come upon the whole world. They saw the healings. They saw his teachings. They saw him casting out demons. They saw him feeding. They saw him raising people from the dead. And ultimately, then they would have the experience of seeing the evidence seeing the evidence, hearing about the evidence of that empty tomb when Jesus himself was raised from the dead. He's telling them, okay, you're, you're, you're blaspheming the, the Holy Spirit. You're speaking against the, the work that the Holy Spirit is doing, that, that God's, you're, you're speaking against the, the will of Father God through the Holy Spirit. It's just not about unbelief. It's just not like, well, Jesus, show us a little bit more. The Pharisees weren't standing there saying, well, Jesus, just show us a little bit more. You know, some of them actually questioned. There were, there were people within the religious leader groups that were like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we, we do want to, yeah, something's happening here. But the, the group in general, what, the, the hard-hearted ones, they're, they're, they're not in that position. Anything Jesus does is not enough for them. So blaspheming the Holy Spirit isn't just about unbelief for them. It's a defiance against what one knows beyond a shadow of a doubt. Jesus is standing right there in front of them. They see it. It's determined denial. It's willful denial. Because Luke, Luke later on in Acts and in other places throughout, you know, throughout the whole scripture, we, we see this. But Luke makes it clear that sins are forgiven when a person repents. You see this in, in when he records Peter's words in Acts chapter 2. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, this is what's been offered up to you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The sin, the heart condition that Jesus is, says that is, leads to unforgiveness is the one, the heart that's moving away from any sort of repentance, any sort of idea of, of repentance, it's a state of continual willful unbelief, denial and belief. 
John says this in John 16, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit convicts, convicts our hearts, pulls at our hearts, and we have to do, we have to decide what we're going to do with that. We have to decide what we're going to do with that. And the Pharisees, the, the Pharisees were in a unique position. They were, they were part of this group, part of this, this people group right there that saw Jesus face to face, saw him do his work, saw him do his miracles, right? They, they were in a, a position that won't happen again because Jesus is now seated on the throne of God. And, and Jesus is calling out their denial, their denial, their willful denial of what was going on. But the world around us can still sit in unbelief. And there will be people. You, you show them all the evidence, right? You can talk as much as you want about who Jesus is, and they will, they will continue to harden their hearts. But the world in general still sits in a position of unbelief, an unbelief that leads straight to the, the gates of Gehenna, hell. And sometimes we live in fear because we think that we're going to fall out of grace with God, and this is sort of where we get mixed up on this, um, what's this unforgivable sin? Am I, am I in, uh, in jeopardy of actually doing it, and then is God going to dismiss me or, or get rid of me? Are you in Christ? Then you've not committed the unforgivable sin. Do you feel the conviction against sin by the Holy Spirit? Then you're not committing the unforgivable sin. Do you feel broken by the weight of sin, recognizing the weight of sin? Then you are not in the position of committing the unforgivable sin. And sometimes, though, we get our minds wrapped up in that. Satan wants us to doubt. Satan wants to bring in doubt. He's a liar and deceiver, and he wants to bring in um, false false ideas, and he wants to say, you know, are you sure? You know, Jesus surely can't love you. Those are messages from Satan. But Christ says, ah, yes, <laughs> my arms are wide open. Have you said, a, have you cursed against me? Have you doubted me? You still come to me. Have you done something wrong? You can still come to me, All right? If you're under the conviction of sin, then you, haven't, then you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Jesus says, as a follower, you don't have to worry about what the world can throw at you. We are safe and secure in his arms. We can't lose our position in God. The news is not happy. It's not all happy for everyone, though. And Jesus is breaking down the reality of this. And I, you know, I hate being the bearer of bad news. I'm naturally just a people-pleasing per person, right? I don't want to bring bad news now. But when, when there's something, it's like, okay, I know there's a truth here. And I know it's not popular, but hey, it needs to be said. Uh, no problem doing that. And this is a truth that can't be denied. John 3, 36, 36 says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Life is offered to us, eternal life in God, in this renewed creation. But wrath is also offered to us 
as well if we do not put our faith in Jesus Christ and wrath of the separation from God because of unrepentant belief, unbelief. But the good news is, and this is what Jesus is saying here, you can say all you want, he's saying, you can say all you want about me, but the door is still open, right, to come to me. That's the good news. There's still time to make a choice about following Jesus. Those friends, those family members who you are just like, oh, they will never, they will never see the truth of Christ. There's still time. There's still time. If you're someone who's sitting here and you're questioning, I, I don't know, I've never followed, decided to follow Jesus, there is still time. May this be the day, because John three sixteen and 17 says this, and I think you have to combine these verses together when presenting the gospel. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In Christ, we are secure. We have security. Paul gives a prayer to the Ephesians church. Ephesians chapter 1 records this, and he says this to the Ephesians church. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is open to those who have put their faith in Jesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty works of his strength. The Holy Spirit is here to give you, to give me what we need as we walk through this life. Jesus says this in the, the concluding verses in Luke 12 for today, Luke 11 through 12. Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the very hour what must be said. Ah, there is great power great position that comes because we are followers of Jesus? Are we holding on to those promises? Are we holding on to those promises, or do we, do we let the doubts and the fears of our mind take control of how we live our lives? We don't have to be afraid. And, and Jesus said, he said, hey, man, again, you acknowledge me, I'm acknowledging you. When you, when you talk about me, I'm telling the angels about it, all right? I'm spreading the good news when you spread the good news, right? We don't have to be afraid to talk about Jesus. Disciples, I know these religious leaders are coming after me, and it's going to feel like they're coming after you as well. Keep up the good work, Jesus says. Keep up the true work. Keep up the worthy work. Don't be afraid to talk and to share and to bring life to the community around you. Say it this way, we are the proclaimers, we are the proclaimers of the good news. God is the claimer. God is the one who does the redeeming work. Jesus asks us just to be faithful in that work. Our message will bear the fruit of the Spirit on the hearts that have opened themselves up to Jesus and to the movement of the Holy Spirit, and that is a blessing, and that we are doing our work. Our message will fall flat sometimes because it will fall on the hearts of those who aren't 
being pulled or convicted by the Spirit of their sin. And that's okay, because you know why? We proclaim, God claims. We walk and talk, God's going to pull people in to the kingdom. And we don't get to separate and differentiate. You know, I think yeah, maybe, maybe you're ready, so I'm going to go ahead and be brave and talk to you. You not so much, I'm just going to leave you to the side. That's not our job. That's not our job. We don't know where the fruit is going to grow. God is going to be the one who claims that and brings that. We're not in charge of the outcomes you know, of that, only the effort. We're in charge of our effort. Michael Green writes a book called Evangelism in the Early Church, and he says this. He says this about evangelism in this early church. This must often have been not formal preaching, but informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances, in homes and wine shops, on walks around the market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and with the conviction of those who were not paid to say the sort of thing that they were saying. Consequently, they were taken seriously, and the movement spread, notably among the lower classes, is what Michael Green says about the early church's evangelism. May FBC be filled with people who gossip the gospel in the streets, in the shops, in our homes, everywhere in between. The Lord has promised that His Holy Spirit will give you the strength that you need, when you need it, in every situation that you need it in. He's given us great promises. And again, this passage is really comparing the attitude of those who have hardened, intentionally hardened their hearts against God to those, and, and what will happen to those who have actually allowed Christ in and allowed the Holy Spirit to work through them. So as we move into 2023, here's another prayer from Paul that I lift up a prayer for us as a congregation. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Are we ready to move into 2023? Great. Well, let's first take a step into worship. <laughs>